A reading from Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom's bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Karen. Well, tucked inside of the Hebrew uh, songbook is a collection of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent. Uh, these songs were sung by spiritual pilgrims as they journeyed to the holy city of Jerusalem to celebrate the three annual feasts. Jerusalem was built in the mountains. It sits about a half a mile above sea level, so pilgrims had to literally climb their way up to it. Hence the name, the Songs of Ascent. You can imagine what the scene would have been like. People, young and old, coming from all different directions, all different places with joy and expectation. And as they reach that final ascent into the city, the crowd thickens and voices begin to swell with, with familiar tunes. With songs that remind them that the life of faith is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. They're seeking God together. They're seeking His face. They're longing to be in His presence, longing to experience His mercy and redemption, longing to delight in one another. They remind us that, uh, that we are pilgrims, not tourists. Tourists seek experiences. Pilgrims seek a destination, transformation. These pilgrim songs are timeless, but they just seem to be particularly timely today. They invite us on a journey from isolation into community, from being scattered to being gathered, from a fragmented life to a life of robust fellowship and unity, from distress and disharmony to peace. As we learn to sing these songs in the coming weeks, we'll make our way back to our own sanctuary indoors. We'll seek fresh experiences of God's mercy and forgiveness. We'll reclaim the lost pieces of our life together and ask God to restore our unity and our joy as His people. Are you ready to ascend? Are you ready to take these pilgrim songs upon your own lips and work them deep into your own hearts? Are you ready to renew your covenant with the triune God and with one another? Let's do it. The first of these songs is Psalm 120. It begins, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. The author is in deep distress. He's drowning in lies. Nobody shoots straight with him. Everyone is selling something, crafting a narrative, bending the truth to serve their agendas. 
you can brush off a single lie, but constant lies wear us out and wear us down. They disorient us. They dismantle trust. A steady diet of lies makes us cynical and jaded. We end up sealing ourselves off to protect ourselves. We can't thrive in a culture of deceit. You know that nursery rhyme that goes, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That was a lie, wasn't it? Words that are designed to deceive and manipulate really do hurt us. They destroy trust and break relationships. They fuel our suspicion and leave us feeling betrayed and beaten down. What kind of lies have you been told? Maybe someone told you a lie once that crushed your spirit and you haven't been able to shake it since. You are a screw-up. You'll never amount to anything. It's all your fault. Maybe you've heard words that built you up one day and tore you down another. Your worth comes from how you look or from what you do or from how you make me feel. Maybe someone lied to you about their intentions or their commitment to you. You can count on me. I will always be there for you. You can trust me. But it's not just family and friends and lovers who lie to us. We live in a a complex ecosystem of lies from advertisers who claim to know what we really need from entertainers who promise to chase away our boredom, from politicians who promise to have our backs, from psychologists and pundits who promise happiness and success, from religious hucksters and pastors who promise blessings on demand. What lies have you been told? I've been told that good pastors never rock the boat that I'm only credible if my kids conform to people's expectations. I have a little voice inside my head that says, you are what you do. What lies have you been told? There are some pervasive lies in our world today that are wreaking havoc. Lies like, you must pick a side. You must build your identity around whatever side you pick. Everyone on your side is right about everything. And everyone on the other side is wrong about everything. No one is allowed to challenge your side. If the other side wins, the world will fall apart and your children won't be safe. People on the other side are a danger to society. People on the other side are subhuman. There's no point in talking to people on the other side. These lies are not only distressing, they're toxic. They tear at the fabric of relationships and community. And so the psalmist cries out, Save me, Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongue. What lies have you been told? Eugene Peterson says, Christian consciousness begins with the painful realization that what we had assumed was the truth is in fact a lie. You are what you do. Not true. 
You must pick a side. Not true. You're on your own. Not even close. God wants nothing to do with you. Mm -mm. Our search for God begins when we begin to unmask the lies and seek the truth. This psalmist is distressed, but he's also angry. He's angry enough to curse those who traffic in lies. Listen to verses 3 and 4 again. What will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom bush. Someday God is going to intervene. Someday he's going to give these liars what they deserve. What do you think about that prayer? He's praying angry, isn't he? He's not exactly in forgiveness mode. He wants justice, not mercy. He wants God to make things right. And from where he stands, that means giving these liars a taste of their own medicine. What do you think about this? Do you ever pray like this? Yeah, this is God's word, after all. And yet he gives voice to profound human anger. Why does he do that? It's as if God is saying, I hear you. I feel your pain. Is it okay to breathe curses on those who give you a tough time? Is it okay to ask God to give them their just desserts? Miroslav Volf thinks so. He grew up amidst genocide. His relatives and neighbors were dragged from their homes and murdered. And Volf says that when we stop crying out to God for justice, we have a tendency to take justice into our own hands. And it's prayers like these, these curses that appeal to God's justice that enable us to give up our right to revenge. Think about it. If you take God, if you take ultimate justice out of the equation, what's left? Vigilante justice. But if you trust in God's justice, if you trust that he will ultimately balance the scales and make things right, then you can give up your right to revenge. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to cry out for justice. It's better than okay. God says twice in the scriptures, in your anger, do not sin. He doesn't say don't get angry. When lies tear people in two or tear people apart or tear the fabric of society, we should be angry about that. Psalmist is distressed. He's angry and he's fed up. Verse 5, woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Meshech and Kedar are far-flung places in the opposite direction of one another. No one could have lived in both places. This is metaphorical. The psalmist feels far from God, far from peace. He feels isolated and marginalized. The world has been inhospitable to him. It's not a safe place. When nobody shoots straight with you, you feel like you don't belong. You feel homeless. 
I felt this way. Many of you have too. You've shared it with me. You've described it with words like these. I just don't fit in in an us versus them world. I don't want to take sides. I don't want to demonize half the population. I want to be a person of peace. I want to be the bridge, but it's not easy. At least if I choose a side, only half the world hates me. But when I refuse to take sides, everyone looks at me sideways. I can take it on both cheeks. Last June, people were angry at me for praying for the safety of our local police, and people were angry at me for praying for black lives. This is the world we live in. It's exhausting and discouraging. Where do people of peace fit in? We don't. The psalmist uses the word war to describe his experience. I've never experienced war. I think he's saying that he lives in constant emotional and relational turbulence. He's worn out by it all. What have been your Meshechs and Kadars? What experiences have left you feeling homeless, worn out, fed up? When have you felt like you don't fit in anywhere? Like you're in a war zone? The psalmist is fed up, but he doesn't try to escape the pain. Instead, he feels the, the grief, the uneasiness. He feels the isolation and loneliness all the way through. He voices his self-pity and anger and exasperation. And at the end of all of that, he makes a decision. He says, I've had it. I can't live here anymore. I need to get out of this place. Does this seem like an odd choice to lead off this collection of pilgrim songs? I mean, it's not really about traveling or going somewhere. It's not really about meeting God or gathering with his people. It's more about feeling distressed and angry and fed up with the world. Exactly. You see, the motivation to embark on a spiritual journey always begins with dissatisfaction with where you're at. The journey to God, the journey to holy community begins with holy disgust. It begins when you say, I am fed up with the way things are. I want something better. Think back on your life so far. What unhealthy or toxic conditions have you come to accept as normal? How long have you stayed there? When and how did you decide to leave? It's hard to leave, isn't it? It may be a total disaster, but it's your disaster. I mean, if you stay where you are, at least you know you can keep breathing. But if you leave, who knows what could happen? Who knows the dangers and risks on the other side of that void? 
This is why so many people stay in unhealthy relationships, even abusive relationships, because as bad as it is, the prospect of leaving and starting over just seems overwhelming. And yet, our salvation, our transformation, always begins with holy disgust. It begins when we say, I am fed up. I can't keep doing this. I want more than a fractious and fragmented life. Where are you now? Are you flourishing? Are you in a healthy place? Have you isolated yourself or put up walls to keep from being disappointed or getting hurt? Have you defined yourself by the lies that you've been told? Are you living out someone else's story, someone else's plan for your life? Are you clinging to what's familiar, even if it's toxic? Have you bought the lie that you have to take sides? Can you imagine what it would look like to let go, to leave this place you've called home and to journey someplace new. Jesus says, follow me, step out into the void and trust me. Are you fed up enough to follow his lead? The author of Hebrews writes, by faith Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is our story, isn't it? We're a pilgrim people. That's who we are. We're people who are fed up with a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. Fed up enough to leave it behind and step into the void with nothing more than a call and a promise. Immigrant stories are always one part escape, one part adventure. It takes incredible courage to be an immigrant, to leave everything that's familiar behind, even if it's unsafe. Every Christian should have an immigrant story. The Apostle Paul wrote that our citizenship is in heaven, 
and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason we don't feel at home in this world is that it's not our true home. We were made for a better world. And we should long for that world and ache over the wrong that we experience in this world. When Jesus came, he announced that the, that the future world had broken through. And when we follow him, that future world gets inside of us. We don't have to escape. Heaven comes down. Heaven meets us where we are. John Stott says we need not just one conversion, but two. Out of the world to Christ. That's the first conversion. Back into the world with Christ. That's the second. Out of Meshach and Kedar to the holy mountain. And then back home, renewed and restored by God and His people. Are you fed up with the lies you've been told? Fed up with the constant conflict and outrage that stalks us around every turn. Jesus invites you to live out a different story. A story where God equips us to love and serve our neighbors no matter what side they're on. A story in which Jesus is enough to help us overcome our differences. A story where we can live in the truth even when the truth hurts and even when the truth costs us something. A story in which we are so secure in the Father's love that it doesn't matter what people say about us. Let's live that story. Let's pray. God, thank you for pursuing us. Would you give us courage to trust you to lead us beyond where we are. To trust you that you love us and that you want us to flourish. Teach us to sing these ancient pilgrim songs. To center the desire of our hearts on you. To lose ourselves in order to find ourselves in your presence, and in the company of one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.